Wednesday, January 26th. Welcome to the Just Baseball Show. And before we start, I want to wish a very happy 25th, 30th birthday, something like that, to my beautiful mother. Mom, I hope you're listening, and I hope you have a very happy birthday. We have a lot to talk about today. I'm joined with Arm Layton, and we have our interview with Joe Posnanski coming up in a few. We have some updates, Arm. Hall of Fame voting. I got to wish you mom a happy birthday as well. Come on. Come on. Thank you. I know. I'm just so excited about getting into so many things that, you know, it all comes back down to family. And happy birthday, mom. Of course. Yes. Happy birthday. Thank you for giving birth to Peter. Sometimes. Thank you. Sometimes. Not as much. Thank you. Uh, But no, extremely grateful for for you always listening. Peter says you're a frequent listener. And uh, I hope you have an awesome, awesome birthday, Uh, even though only David Ortiz got in the Hall of Fame. Only David Ortiz. Mom, I love you. We got to talk about baseball. David Ortiz is the only person inducted into the Hall of Fame this year. Barry Bonds, 66% earned. Roger Clemens, 65.2% earned. A lot of these guys. I mean, we could give a full update on the percentages, but all of them are below 75%. But some of them are trending upwards in the right direction. Yes. I, I'm, I'm happy about rolling. You know, I know we're, we're, we're rolling guys. We are uh, rolling guys. I think just baseball as a whole is, is rolling truthers. <laughs> yes. And uh, he's getting in next year. I, he, he made the progress. He's up over the 60% threshold. I believe that he's going to get in next year. He's made all the momentum he needs to make. Uh, so, so that's really exciting. Billy Wagner, someone that I know you are, I mean, I agree with you, but you're like, that's one of your big, big, stances. one of my guys. Yeah, that's that's a guy that also trending in the right direction, got over the 50% threshold, should get in as well. Um, also, as they clear some of the quote unquote clutter from the ballot, um, yeah. <laughs> because a lot of people voted for for bonds and Clements and they should be in. But now those are two two players that are off, given that you're only limited to to 10 votes. Um, and, you know, I, I even think uh, we saw some positive trends with some of the guys even below that. So there's some good things happening. Uh, and I'm happy Ortiz got in because there's like a, Ethan Badowski had a great poll, Peter. And I want to get your thoughts on this. I don't know if you saw it, uh, but our own Ethan Badowski, who hosts Big Hall Talk, uh, not happy with the results. And he had a good poll. It was, is it, which is a worse look for baseball? The fact that David Ortiz got in and Poppy and, Cle- or excuse me, and uh, Barry Bonds and Clemens did not, or would it be worse that just nobody gets in? Hmm. You know what I'm saying? Cause you have one guy that's implicated with roids and then Clemens and bonds don't get in, or is it better that just nobody gets in? What would be a worse look? I guess the worst look I think is none of them. I think so too. After I, it happened last year too. Yes. I think that's the worst look, but it's so hard. We've gone over so many of these debates on this podcast or yeah. the, yeah. What implications did he have to steroids with Sammy Sosa? Kind of similar to David Ortiz. You know, A-Rod failed a drug test, but Barry Bonds wasn't getting drug tested back then, or Sammy Sosa, or Mark McGuire. The semantics of the thing, we could run around in circles for years trying to figure out who exactly took steroids and when. But in my opinion, that's why I'm always in the boat where I am not here to play morality police. I think if your numbers stack up, you should be in the Hall of Fame. I think there are other Hall of Famers that took performance enhancing drugs that are in the hall of fame a hundred percent a hundred percent so the worst look is none of them but also it's not a great look that david ortiz has been connected to steroids never failed the test and i'm not even going to go on this podcast and say he did yeah because in a court of law he's innocent yeah but i'm just saying that there are pretty there are strong things. implications and, yeah. and nobody followed him up you know and it's like I don't care because I love Ortiz and, you know, all of these guys were, were if, if in the game of baseball, were great for the game of baseball in terms of drumming up attention, uh, creating fans and just making the products more exciting to, to watch. Uh, it's, it's frustrating. I'm glad that Ortiz gets in. It's just wild that 
He's a first ballot guy too. That's first the craziest ballot. part. First ballot. Yeah. If you have any implications in the past, you're you're not getting in. And and I think Ortiz's implications are a little bit stronger than just rumors, you know. So yeah. it, it's tough. But it also was a crazy day because getting buried in all that were some labor talks today. You know, we had a back to back meeting, uh, which you know it's a far cry from the seven minutes that we had way before. And I think we're heading in the right direction here. Uh, but there were some interesting talking points uh, from today's CBA, Pete. And I really liked one of the things that, that MLB or that the MLBPA uh, proposed, which was a pre-arbitration bonus pool for yeah. the top 30 players in war, which is brilliant because those are the top 30 players in wins above replacement that are pre-arbitration would be eligible for this bonus pool for just being the best players and getting rewarded for that. MLB came in or MLBPA came in at $105 million for the total money in that bonus pool. <laughs> you saw, you saw what MLB countered with, right? $10 million. $10 what a joke. Million dollars. What a joke. They countered for less than a 10th Peter, less than a 10th. And the MLB player just laughed them out of the room. They're like, what, what even is that? What, that like that is what you call negotiating in bad faith yep and and i know people are like always saying yes there's two sides to it well i agree but the players are the ones that dropped the year of of control they, they said you know what let's forget it we'll, we'll let that one go we, we won't go hell-bent on years of control and then mlb counters at less than 10 percent of what the mlbpa came forward with i mean i think it's pretty cl- cut clear and very dry here who is trying to get a deal done and who isn't. Uh, I agree. And, and I think these, these bullet points are, are, are pretty clear uh, in this case. I mean, you even think about it. What's the MLB PA trying to do? For example, they're trying to offer the minimum wage for, for some of those um, players from what is it right now? 570,000. They're trying to raise it up to 775,000, yeah. but the MLB came back and said, how about 615? So whose side do you want to be on? Do you want to be on the side that's helping players make more money? Or do you want to be on the side that doesn't? Seems clear. Exactly, right? I want to be on the side that makes players more money. But beyond that, it's like, I want to be on the side that's being reasonable. Yep. And I think the players are being way more reasonable. If, if MLB countered at even 50, I mean, you at least can go from there. But countering at 10, you're splitting that am- among 30 players? Like, congrats. It, it, like what, what, what is that going to do for these guys? 30 players putting up $10 million. I, that's, that's just not going to make a difference pre-arb. It's, it's just basically smoke and mirrors. It, it's pretty wild to me how much MLB is just really showing its true colors. Now they're not even hiding it anymore. They're just out in the open saying, ah, yeah, we don't really care. And what are you going to do about it? And there's not a deal in place, but we knew that we knew there wasn't going to be a deal signed today and that's okay. But at least and we're, we're angry, we are mad, but we also have to pull it back and understand they're at least talking two yes. days in a row, meetings, multiple hours, they're putting in the work. It's clear that MLB and the MLBPA and everybody involved, nobody wants to miss games. They understand no. what that will do to the bottom line. They 100%. cannot, and not even just the bottom line, how much do they care actually about fan engagement, you know? that's up for interpretation, but they should. And you're going to lose tons and tons of fans if they aren't going to have games come April 1st, come opening day. So uh, it's good, but it's also terrible at the same time. Yeah. No, it, it's a net positive. I agree. Yes. With you. I mean, they're meeting and, and I, you can see the urgency now. How and, crazy and that's all I want to see. I just How wanted crazy. urgency. I, I wanted, wanted urgency too. How so crazy is it that we're praising them for just getting in the same room together? Yeah. Yeah, like they're these arch nemesis, like yeah, <laughs> two people who could never even look at each other. Like it, it, it's it's pretty wild. Uh, but we're getting there. We're trending in the right direction. And you know, when it was doomsday, we're gonna miss a month of the season. Blah blah blah. I still stand by it. I think we're gonna play when we're scheduled to play. Maybe a slight bump in spring training, but that's it. I think the first MLB game will be the day it's supposed to be, and I, I do stand by that. I agree. I'm in the same boat. I, I still am sticking to my to my statement. 99.9% sure that we will have games come April 1st. But that's why I'm also not really kind of getting away from 
the MLBPA and the MLB owners meet MLBPA and the MLB owners meeting back to the Hall of Fame discussion. Congrats to Big Poppy David Ortiz for making it in the first ballot and being the only Hall of Famer on this list. But we've talked and we've talked about all of these Hall of Famers. And that's why I think this is a perfect day to bring on Joe Posnanski, who is one of the great storytellers, one of the great sports writers of all time. And he's a Hall of Fame voter as well. And he, he came out with the book, The Baseball 100, which is ranking the top 100 players in MLB history. But it's not necessarily, oh, number 75 is better than 76. And here's why. There's an art to it. So that's why I'm excited to welcome on Joe Posnanski to talk about the art of baseball. We welcome on Joe Posnanski, a six-time New York Times bestselling author who has written for The Athletic, Sports Illustrated, NBC Sports, and the Kansas City Star. He's a two-time Emmy Award winner and a five-time National Sports Writer of the Year and the author of The Baseball 100, ranking the top 100 players in MLB history, which was deemed an instant sports classic by The New York Times. But Joe, before we talk about the list, the Hall of Fame voting results are announced today even though this comes out on Wednesday and you are a hall of fame voter deciding who to vote for between this specific crop of players seems a little bit more challenging. I feel like than in previous years. So like, do you see guys like bonds and Roger Clemens getting in the hall of fame this year? Uh, I definitely do not see them getting into the hall of fame this year. I think that uh, we are, as we are recording this, we are what six hours or so away from the announcement. And, uh, I think what people are going to see uh, when when uh, this actually comes out is that David Ortiz was elected uh, and only David Ortiz. I, I, I think it's pretty clear that uh, despite this being the last time around on the ballot for Roger Clemens, for Barry Bonds, and then, you know, for Sammy Sosa uh, as well, and in a whole different realm and category, Kurt Schilling, uh, I don't believe that there's the appetite for any of them. Uh, to go in the Hall of Fame. You need 75%, and that's a very, very high threshold. And, uh, you know, I think there was a time early on in the whole Bonds and Clemens uh, scenario when it seemed like, you know what, by the time we get to the 10th year, enough people will have just said, okay, they've paid their price, they're going to get in. Uh, but that never happened. And so uh, so I, uh, they are not going to get in, I don't believe. And uh, But I do believe David Ortiz will. Joe, that's that's one induction in two years. Does that make you cringe a little bit? It makes me cringe a lot. I mean, it really does. I, I we, you know, we had a, a moment last month, and of course, you know, I, I'm sure everybody uh, who listens to this is a baseball fan and knows there's a difference between the Baseball Writers Association of America voting in, and then there are veterans committees that vote in. So last month, two different veterans committees. Uh, put in six total players and, 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 you know, including my great friend, Buck O'Neill, who I wrote my first book about and, uh, but also Jim Cott and Tony Oliva and, and Gil Hodges and, and Minnie Minoso. I mean, it was a real celebration. I mean, I think that's what the hall of fame is supposed to be. It was celebrating the greatest games in, in the history of, of baseball. And instead this thing has turned into a, you know, very complicated, and I, I'm not saying who's right or wrong, but a very complicated argument about what the Hall of Fame means and 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 who is worthy and who isn't worthy. And we've gotten so far away from baseball, it's it's very sad to me. So yeah, one guy going in, I think, is very uh, it is very sad. And and you know, I'm looking on the horizon, and it doesn't. You know, there are some players that are going to get in, but but it's it's looking pretty sparse, to be honest with you. Yeah, I, and we could, you know, spend an hour launching into the intricacies of the Hall of Fame, but we instead want to launch into the intricacies of the Baseball 100. That is your last, <laughs> your most previous book uh, that has come out. Before we do that, where did the love for baseball history come from? Because I think we have felt it in spurts, Peter and I. We, we find the story of Old Haas Radborn and we run with it because it's awesome. But you ran marathons with 100 guys. Like, you got into the nitty-gritty. How did this come to be for you? Well, you know, probably the same way that came to be for you, right? You, you, you hear a story and, uh, about a player. You know, I think you fall in love with the game first. You fall in love with playing the game. You fall in love with your local team. You fall in love with a certain player. And, and then you 
you know, as, as time goes on, you begin to realize that there's this great history of this game and, you know, that, that, that goes back to before you were born and, and suddenly you're like, you're watching, uh, you know, for me growing up, I'm watching whoever, Ron Guidry or Fernando Valenzuela. And somebody says, oh yeah, you think they're good. You should have seen Sandy Koufax and yes. Bob Gibson. And, you know, and it's like, well, who are these guys? Who is Sandy Koufax? Who is Bob Gibson? So, so for me, I, I think it really came on honestly. And, and then as a writer, I, these stories, like they're, they're, they, you can go so deep in them. I mean, that to me, it was the most fun part of, of doing the baseball 100 was, you know, I think there are a lot of players in here that, you know, casual baseball fans might know, might not know, or definitely will not know. I mean, you know, there, there are Negro leagues players in here that are, that are not super well-known. There are some major leaguers in here like Archie Vaughn who are not super well-known. But a lot of these players, everybody kind of feels like I know. I know who Mickey Mantle is. I know who who uh, Henry Aaron is. I know who these guys are. So trying to find stuff that you didn't know about them, you know, and and going deep on that is, uh, I love it. It's it's one of my favorite things to do. Yeah. And you created this list with the help of Tom Tango, who is the creator of Wins Above Replacement or War. But this list is more about the history of baseball. And I know that there isn't an exact science, you know, based from a stat sheet. But how did you come to terms with how the list would be created? I almost feel like it's your personal version of war in a way, wins above replacement. I, I think it is. Uh, you know, Tom, Tom is a great guy. And Tom was the guy who helped me start this list. So we... I went to him and I said, look, I'm, I'm going to do this. I've been, I'd been trying it for years. You know, I'd started and stopped a couple of times. And I said, I want to do this list and I want to come up with this formula that, that spits out basically the people who I would consider based on the criteria that I think is most important, the best players in baseball history. And we came up with this really interesting, cool formula and it gave us a thousand players in order. And it's like, oh, this is great. But that was that's just where it started, right? I mean, like like that list of, of the the hundred greatest players. There are a lot of players on that original list that are not in this book. There are a lot of players who are not on that original list who are in this book. Um, the order is completely different because I added all sorts of other things that that to me were important, including connecting players to fun numbers and trying to do a lot of fun things like that. So. So that was where it started. But yeah, for me, it was very much a question of, okay, well, you know, how do you rate a guy like, um, you know, uh, I'm, I'm trying to think of somebody, Pop Lloyd, okay? Pop Lloyd played in the Negro Leagues uh, before the Negro Leagues, right? I mean, he played, he played, uh, you know, uh, as an African-American, he played in various leagues in the, in the teens, in the 1910s, you know, and, and went on. Now, how am I going to compare Pop Lloyd with, uh, you know, Ozzie Smith? I mean, it's 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 silly. So so at some point for me, it was a matter of, all right, I'm, I'm going to rank them, but I'm going to rank them based on any number of things with the with the statistics being there in the background. Uh, but I'm going to rank them as, you know, for the kinds of impact they had on the game, the kinds of players they were in their time, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So, uh, so yeah, it was a, it was a pretty good process. And, uh, and the great thing about it was, and this was, this was really important to me when I, when I realized this somewhere early on, before I ever even started the writing, I realized that whatever list I came up with, people were going to hate it. Like there was like, there was never a doubt in my mind, no matter what list I did, there were going to be people that were going to really be angry about it. That sounds and, right. uh, and I, I not only came to terms with that, I really embraced it. I thought this is great. That's that's what baseball is. Baseball is us arguing about why you put, you know, Barry Bonds in front of Henry Aaron. I mean, you know, that's that's what baseball is all about. And and so uh, so that was really important. Once I realized, like, look, this is just my list. I'm never going to get it good enough that everybody's going to be happy. Uh, that that made it a lot easier. Or Griffey outside the top forty. Yeah. There you go. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> And there, there are tons of arguments, and that's the beautiful part about baseball, and that's the beautiful part about this list. But you mentioned Pop Lloyd, who's number 25 in this list. And according to the list, he's the second best shortstop of all time yeah. behind Honus Wagner. And I heard you say that Honus Wagner was honored when being compared to Pop Floyd. Babe Ruth called him the greatest player anywhere. 
And the opening line is, we know so little about John Henry Lloyd. So I guess my question is, who is Pop Lloyd and why is he one of the greatest 25 players of all time? Well, I, I think you probably nailed it right there. I mean, you know, he was he was this extraordinary player who did everything right in his time. And he was called the Black Honus Wagner. Uh, and when Honus Wagner heard that, he said, no, it's an honor for me to be compared to him. So, I mean, that that probably gives you a pretty good idea uh, of just how good a player he was. And and one of the things that I found very interesting as I was doing this list, because I did this list, you know, the positions were, were, you know, I did, you know, have positions in mind. I knew I wanted a certain number of pitchers and all of that, but I didn't do this list like, okay, here are the 10 best shortstops and I'm going to put them in different places. I just kind of did the list based on, you know, starting with the, with the Tom Tango formula and, and that sort of thing. So I didn't, you know, at, at the time I didn't say, Hey, I'm going to make Pop Lloyd the second best shortstop ever. I, I just said 25 is where he belongs. And that's, and that's where I put him. So, you know, I don't know that he was better than Cal Ripken or whatever, but one of the things that surprised me is there have not been that many super great all-time shortstops in, in the history of baseball, right? I mean, yeah. that's really surprising if you think about it. I mean, you can, you can, we can talk about Jeter if, if you want, and we can talk about A-Rod in his own, in his own category. Um, but this is a very, uh, it's a very short list of truly great shortstops in the history of baseball, which tells you how amazingly hard that position is, but it also probably should help elevate players who were, who maybe we thought of as like, yeah, they were good, but not great, but they were shortstops. I mean, it's such a, it's such a hard position to play to be that, you know, that great a player. You know, you never had the chance to watch Pop Lloyd, right? We didn't have the chance to watch Pop Lloyd. From a writing perspective, diving into these guys, how did you go about it with a player that you never saw? Because I notice, you know, when you go back, you know, say just in typical conversation, when you go back pre 1940s 1950s it's all about the anecdotes example most well-known anecdote regarding Babe Ruth was when he called his shot against Charlie Root and the Cubs in 32 how much value can you place in anecdotes well a tremendous amount especially as a storyteller I mean I think that's that's where the heart of it is I mean you know as, as much as I do like stats and advanced stats I mean telling people somebody's war or or their, or their, you know, their fielding independent pitching, you know, ERA, hey, that's, that's not going to win you a lot of friends, right? Yeah. You know, I mean, that's not, that's not really what it's about. It's about what they, what they did and what people said about them. So, you know, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm old, but I'm not that old. I didn't really see even, you know, that, that 50s, 60s group, even the early 70s, you know, that's before my time. Yeah. So I didn't see, Gibson or Koufax or Mantle or Mays or, or really I saw Henry Aaron at the very, very, very end when he was, you know, with the Brewers. And even then I was whatever, eight years old or something. So I didn't see most of these guys on this list. So it is really, you know, at least with those guys different from Pop Lloyd, you can go back and look at, at some video of them, right? People who saw them play are still alive. Teammates are still alive. You can talk to them. It's a much more current thing a guy like pop lloyd was a particularly difficult challenge because he played in the negro leagues there are no stats there are no i mean there are some but but it's it's very limited the the anecdotes are are the are the anecdotes i mean we're not going to get any more nobody nobody around now has seen pop lloyd play so so we're we're at a we're sort of at a, at a point but you know newspapers are were amazing uh, uh, things in those days, you know, they're, they're, it's a much uh, smaller group now, but back in, in, you know, in the twenties and tens and thirties and forties, you know, there were four or five newspapers in, in many of these towns. And so you've got all kinds of different anecdotes and stories about these players. And, and, you know, for me, digging into that stuff is, is as fun as it gets. And I have a, I have a specific question about, number 100, especially each row. But before I get in, into each row, you've gone through so many newspapers, so many stories. I mean, you're one of the great storytellers in sports history. Is there an anecdote? Is there a newspaper headline that maybe you have saved the clipping of it? Something that has stuck with you throughout history? Just one big headline where you thought, wow, that's got to stick with me. Huh? That's a good question. Um, 
I don't know if there's a headline. I, I would say virtually every time I really dive into it, I like, like this is a baseball podcast. So you guys don't care about this, but I'm writing now about Joe Schmidt, who is a, a great football player. I'm doing a football countdown. Oh, we still care. Don't worry. The top 100 okay, football, good. it's coming. Right. Don't worry. We're football guys too. Well, so I've spent the morning looking at Joe Schmidt things. And there's a great story about Joe Schmidt when he was playing at, at the university of Pittsburgh, they were getting ready to play Notre Dame and they were huge, huge underdogs. And, and it was before the game and Joe Schmidt uh, basically told the coaches to leave. He was a senior. He said, you coaches leave. They, all the coaches left. And then he gave them this stirring legendary speech to all of the pits pit players and, and like stuff that they would talk about for years to come. Yeah. And then they went out and beat Notre Dame and, and he had a big 60 yard interception and it was, it's like, well, this is great. It, and that's a relatively famous story inside of college football. What's not as well known, and I was able to find by just looking through different things, is that during that game, he got knocked unconscious and had to spend 10 days in the hospital. So like oh, literally he, he didn't see the end of the game. He didn't have any, he found out 10 days later what happened. I mean, you know, and, and so stuff like that happens like every time you really dive in. So so I don't know if there's one specific story or anecdote or, or headline that I've seen, but what, what really gets me going, really gets the juices flowing is I'll be going through something and I'll see a, a little headline about the player I'm looking for. And, and it's maybe sometimes just a three paragraph story, but it's something completely wild and like, you know, oh, before the game, this guy had got two holes in one and a goal, you know, just like weird stuff. And that's, I love that. I love that stuff. Sounds like Joe Schmidt was a football guy, like a real yeah, football, he was a guy. football guy. Yeah. Yeah. He, that, that's exactly how I'm referring to him. And talking about a baseball guy, number a hundred. Yeah. Joe, I'm obsessed with each row at number a hundred. We spoke with Bob Costas on episode 43 of our podcast. And he said each row was one of his favorite players of all time. Yeah. And you spoke about the importance of a baseball life um, in a lot of previous interviews. And each row has one of the great baseball lives of all time, but it's also such a good starting point to the book too, especially due to the silent large donation he made to the Negro leagues, which I'm hoping you can talk further about. Um, and you've included Negro league players on this list as well. So I know it's a loaded, loaded question, but why is each row at a hundred? Well, it, it's not a loaded question because I there's a very, very specific reason. Ishiro is one of my favorite players too. I don't know how it could not be. Like, I don't know who is Ishiro. Like, who has a, a list of favorite players that doesn't have Ishiro somewhere on there, right? I mean, he played the game so differently from everybody else. I mean, he was a joy. He was an amazing outfielder with his great arm he was a stolen base guy he, he he would dance around in the box he'd be halfway up to first base you know before he ever even hit the ball I mean he was he was unique and he was special um he's number 100 because I wanted him to start off the book I mean I it's, know I it's like you it's know and, and and I think that that's that's an important point to make about the list this is a real list I mean I'm I will tooth and nail you know argue with anybody who wants to, because it's fun. Like I'll argue why fun. I put, <laughs> why I put Ichiro, I mean, uh, Griffey too low and, 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 you know, Tony Gwynn too low and why I put Bly, Bly Levin too high. I mean, I, you know, I've, I've, I've been doing this for months and it's, and it's always fun for me, but let's be honest, right. You're not going to be able to get the hundred greatest players of all time in a certain order. Uh, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's fun. It's just, that's all it is. Ishiro was not on the Tom Tango statistical list. He, he was not on there. He was not even especially all that close. Now, there are a lot of reasons for that, including the fact that I will count his time in Japan and, and, and those stats don't. Um, he didn't walk that much. He was not a big power hitter. Like there are, you know, all of the statistical issues uh, with Ishiro's career. To me, there was no way Ishiro wasn't going to be in my top hundred. I mean, he was definitely going to be there. So, then it's a question of like, okay, look, he's not on the list. I've got to put him in a place. Well, if I put him at 96, that's fine, but that's not special, you know, and Ishiro deserved to me something special. So, so Ishiro is number 100 because I wanted him to be the first player you saw in the book. I love that. And um, I just have a quick follow-up about the Ichiro because I mentioned the silent donation um, that he made to the Negro Leagues. And I feel that story really touched me 
because yeah, it's, it, it's and I, I'm sure you can go into it much better than I. No, no. I mean, it's 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 it speaks to who Ishiro is. You know, Ishiro um, just admired Buck O'Neill. You know, we just talked about Buck going into the Hall of Fame. He just had this great admiration for Buck O'Neill, and he saw, and Buck saw this too. Like they, this was their connection. He saw his, himself in the Negro Leagues. You know, I mean, he saw himself. I mean, his struggle was nothing like what their struggle was. It was very different. But in in a larger sense, same thing. He came here from another league. Nobody, you know, I wouldn't say nobody, but a lot of people didn't think he was going to make it. Very, very few people, if anybody, thought he was going to be as good as he became, as good as he was. In Japan, there was, there was a whole lot of, you know, he'll come here. It's going to be a whole, di- you know, whole different story. And that was the story of the Negro Leagues. These guys can't play in our league, et cetera. So he, he really connected with that. Plus, he connected with Buck. Buck was a very stylish guy who, who always dressed well, and, and, and Ishiro really liked that. So when, when uh, Buck O'Neill died, there was a uh, flower uh, arrangement sent completely nobody expected it's a big huge flower arrangement sent and there was i don't remember exactly what how bob explained it bob kendrick the president of negro league baseball museum somehow they found out it was from ishiro i don't know that there was a card or whatever but they somehow found it was from ishiro and then later ishiro came and he toured the museum uh and he very quietly wrote the largest check that any player has ever written uh for the museum and it just it just speaks to I mean, he's just pure class. He's just pure class. And, 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 you know, this, this is, it's funny when you write a book about the hundred greatest players ever, you know, there's, there are players who were incredibly great players, but did not leave necessarily a huge impact. Right. And there are players who left a huge impact, but weren't necessarily as great as some of the others. I mean, Ishiro is that rare figure who was, uh, you know, a, a legendarily great player, but also made, you know, a much larger impact even than you can, you know, I mean, the way he, I mean, he changed the game. He truly changed the game. He, he's all class. He's all baseball too. Like that guy is yeah. just, yeah. He, he's going to be around baseball in some capacity until he goes. I think he's oh, still yeah. around baseball. I think he's still pitching. Yeah, he was, I, I, I saw, saw a video. video of him pitching recently, which is nuts. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, 25 like years from now, he'll just come in and he'll pinch hit, you know, you'll be yeah. like, you'll just be watching like a, you know, by then it'll be like a San Antonio, whatever wings game or something. And uh, they'll be like, each like 70 years old. He come in, he'll, he'll, he'll bunt single down the third baseline. I mean, the guy, the guy is pure baseball. It, it's hard to outlast Jamie Moyer, but each is going to do it for sure. <laughs> exactly right. Um, exactly right. It, so Ichiro is, you know, massive. And, and we talk about the Japanese influence in baseball a lot. And it's becoming more and more apparent. You see the big money handed to a guy like Masahiro Tanaka. And we might see big right. money handed to Seiya Suzuki. Ichiro was one of the first movers in that. A guy that um, was making his impact in Japan that not many people knew. I've got a quick little story for you before we launch into this guy. Um, this is when I knew I was weird when it came to baseball. I was 10 years old. Um and I was at like a Bulls Sox Academy. I'm from Chicago. I was at like a camp that they were doing and they had trivia before you went to lunch. And the question was, who has hit the most home runs in baseball history? And okay. people were saying Bonds, Aaron. And I raised my hand and I said, Sadaharo O. <laughs> and uh, the camp counselors had no idea who that was. But Sadaharo O checks in in the top 100. Yes. Is he the greatest power hitter of all time? Well, you can make the argument that he's the greatest power hitter of all time. I mean, he certainly is the, I think he's, I don't see how you could be more iconic, right. Than Sedaharo. First of all, his story is pure joy, right? Like, I mean, he, he was this wild, undisciplined young guy with talent and, and, you know, in Japan that did not, I mean, that wouldn't play that well anywhere, but it really didn't play well in Japan. And, and then he, he ends up getting this, this guru who becomes his hitting coach, who, who teaches him like with swords. He like learns how to like hit off one foot using like samurai swords. I mean, like, it's like the, it's the craziest, almost wonderful story. And then all the home runs he hit. And of course he did that at a time when, you know, Japanese baseball really was not only very separate, 
from Major League Baseball, but very exotic, right? Like it was, you know, there weren't, we weren't as connected a world at that time. So it was this thing happening really far away. And, and every so often major leagues would send an all-star team over there and they would pitch to him or, or, or Henry Aaron would have some sort of home run derby with him or some, some goofy thing like that, just to see how good he was. It's clear he was incredible. And it's clear that had he played here uh, at that time, he would have been, you know, a legendary figure. He would have been a 500 home run guy he Would you know, he hit for a very high average. He didn't strike out. I mean, he was, he was just this, this iconic figure. And, and, you know, one of the things that I loved about doing the baseball 100 is you can't pull these guys out of their history, right? You can't, you can't take Sadaharo O and put him in 2022 baseball, right? You can't do that. You can't take Mike Trout and put him back in, in, you know, 1927 with the Yankees. Yeah. So all you can really do is say, okay, how much, how much impact do they have in their own time and how much can I appreciate the impact? And so even though, of course, I would have loved to see Sadaharo O play in Major League Baseball, it's almost more perfect that he became this larger-than-life figure in Japan, who to this day is, you know, is is not only idolized but but really honored uh, at every point as you know, as as not not just a baseball hero but a national hero. And Joe, if we're talking larger than life figures, we're talking about some of the greatest power hitters in all of baseball history. Josh Gibson's name has to be in that conversation. I mean, I was reading, they have him quoted at almost 962 total home runs. Um, Babe Ruth called him one of the greatest power hitters, maybe the greatest player of all time. There are just multiple quotes from all time legends talking about the legend of Josh Gibson. So What's the legend of Josh Gibson? Well, it's, it's the legend is, is, uh, is, is unparalleled, right? I mean, there's, there's, there are more stories probably about Josh Gibson home runs than just about anybody other than maybe Babe Ruth. You know, there's the story of the home run. He he hit him in uh, Philadelphia that didn't land, right? Like they hit him all in the air. They caught it the next day. Caught it the next day in (laughs) Pittsburgh, right? Like that's, that's a great one. Um, you know, the thing about Gibson that, that I wanted to get at is, is one, you want to embrace, especially this was true with Satchel Page and Cool Papa Bell and some of the other Negro Leagues players. You want to embrace the legend, right? Because first of all, that's what we know. But second of all, it's so fun. It's so fun to think so about fun. and talk about Josh Gibson and, and the legend. But at the same time, you also want to recognize that these were real people and they were great. You know, that the, the Josh Gibson was not some sort of mythical figure. I mean, he was this flesh and blood guy who, who really, you know, really struggled with the idea that he could never play in the major leagues. I mean, it was a very painful, very painful thing for him. And he died young. And it's, there's, there's a real human story there. I, I think one of my favorite things about Gibson is the impact that he had on people who would not necessarily, you wouldn't expect it. You know, I think many, many people, did not love the way that uh, that Barry Bonds handled breaking Henry Aaron's record, right? Like a lot of people wanted him to retire the day before he broke the record or whatever. And, and, and a lot of people thought it was very cold hearted of him to kind of keep going when his, when everybody kind of suspected or knew that he was using PDs and et cetera, et cetera. But one thing that Barry Bonds did right was when he, when he broke the record, he was asked what he, how he felt about breaking the record. He said, as far as I'm concerned, Josh Gibson still holds this record. And, and I think that that speaks to, you know, if you're hearing that from Barry Bonds, who was a guy that was not necessarily Mr. Sentimental, you know, <laughs> yeah. uh, for, for him, for him to respond that way, tells you what a huge, huge impact Josh Gibson had. Yeah. And there's another guy currently in baseball that's taken the league by storm. His name's Shohei Otani. And he's often compared to Babe Ruth because he can hit and he can pitch. But the Babe never really did both consistently. And he also didn't have these gargantuan shoulders that Shohei Otani has or the ability to run to first base in under four seconds. But from going through your list and, and reading about it, it seems like Bullet Rogan might be the best comparison for Shohei Otani, who is ranked inside your top 100. What yeah, are those? That, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, no, no, I'll just pick up from there because I, I think I think Shohei Otani reminds of those old Negro Leagues days. Like, like Babe Ruth 
famously pitched and was excellent and set a record of, you know, consecutive scoreless innings in the World Series. And then he was also this great, you know, hitter at the time, you know, within the pitcher context and then got moved to, to the outfield and became Babe Ruth, right? The legendary Babe Ruth. But in the Negro Leagues, it really was sort of a, a necessity because of the, the small rosters, the travel, that on days you had to pitch, you had to pitch. And on days that you didn't pitch, you played. I mean, like that was, that was not an uncommon thing. But what was uncommon was a guy that could do it as well as Bullet Rogan, right? I mean, he was called Bullet Rogan because he was a, such a great uh, pitcher with such a great fastball. Um, but he was probably a better hitter to be perfectly honest. I mean, he was sort of this, he used to swing this gigantic tree trunk of a bat and, and, and could put it anywhere and, and, and hit with power and, and do all of the things that, 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 you know, you would ever want a hitter to do. And so, you know, I think that comparison is much more apt, right? I mean, it's like, it's like this season for Shohei Otani is unique in baseball history. I, I don't believe that there's ever been a pitcher and a hitter who made as much of an impact on both sides, right? I mean, he was not the league's best pitcher. He was not probably the league's best hitter, but combined, it was it was absolutely incredible. And that was the story of Bullet Rogan is that is that Bullet Rogan was you came to the ballpark any day and Bullet Rogan was going to be the star attraction, whether he was pitching or whether he was uh, in the outfield. I mean, Joe, there were seasons where he had an ERA under two and he was hitting over 400. I know he's yeah. not hitting the home runs that Shoyo Otani is just because that wasn't in the same time period. But you just look at the baseball reference and I think to myself, oh, my, I, I just wish I could have seen Bullet Rogan play. Like yeah, that was yeah. one of the players from this list where I thought to myself, wow, I just wish I was back there in the 20s. Absolutely. I, I mean, I, I feel that way all the time about those great Negro Leagues players and especially from that era. You know, because, I mean, I would have loved to see Josh Gibson play, of course, and Satchel Paige. But they're from the 30s and 40s. So even though we never got – well, we did get to see Satchel Paige in the major leagues, an older Satchel Paige. But even though we didn't get to see those guys in the major leagues, we got to see the people who were next in line, right? So so in, in order to understand how good, say, a Monty Irvin was, you know, Monty Irvin also did get to play in the major leagues and was very good. But a young Monty Irvin – was probably like a young Willie Mays, right? So like we got to wow. see, but I don't know who to compare to Bullet Rogan. I don't know who to compare to Oscar Charleston, right? I mean, like Pop Lloyd, those guys played 20 years earlier. And so, uh, you know, it, yes, if I could go back in time, those are the guys I'd want to see. Joe, so contrary to popular belief, I think we're in a pretty good spot with the talent in baseball right now. And I was looking at the active people on this list. Um, if Otani does it like three more times, four more times, he he has to be on that list. Sure. But you've got Pujols, you've got Trout, Verlander, Miguel Cabrera, Kershaw, and Max Scherzer. Those are the yep. guys that are active that are on this list. When you watch baseball now, when you turn on MLB.tv, who's joining him? Well, the first person who's going to join him is Joey Votto because Joey Votto has been texting me constantly asking <laughs> me why the heck he's not in the baseball 100. So, so uh, Joey, if you're listening, you're, you're going in, he's going in. Uh, and you know, and I did that book. I mean, in, in all seriousness, I did that book last year and he had such a great year. He was already so close to being in. Uh, and then he had this great year, you know, and, and uh, um, he really is, you know, a guy, but I think you're asking me more about the younger players and I, and, there are several that could be there, you know? I mean, the, the problem is that great young players will sometimes go into funks and whatever. I mean, look, like, what do we make now of Bryce Harper, right? I mean, if I had done this list in 2015 after his incredible year, I would have said Bryce Harper is going to be on this list, no question about it. And then four years later, I would have said, Bryce Harper is never going to make this list. There's no chance. And now he wins another MVP and it's like, uh, you know, hey, Bryce Harper's going to be on this list. So, so it's tough with young players. But to me, Juan Soto is about as close to a lock as you are going to get for somebody who's 20 years old or whatever he good. is, 21. Um, I mean, he's Ted Williams. He really is. He's just the modern day Ted Williams. It's, it's, he should have won the MVP, in my view, last year. Not because, you know, not because his year was that much better than Bryce Harper's. It probably was a little better, but I mean, it was close enough that I get it. But it, his year was so 
counter to everybody else in baseball. Like there's, he does things now that no, nobody, nobody walks more than they strike out. Right. Nobody. Yeah. And certainly nobody walks twice as much as they strike out, which is what, which is what we're talking about with this guy. I mean, he went in a stretch for two or three months there where he just didn't strike out, you know, and, and, and he's hitting for power and for average. I mean, what a force, but I mean, there are a bunch of guys that I just love right now. I mean, I, I agree with you. I think the young talent in baseball is enormous. I mean, it really is enormous. And, and, you know, I don't know where, where some of these guys are going to end up, but you know, at, at age 20, 21, 22, I mean, this, the game is in great, great shape. And then there's still guys like Mookie Betts and, and others who are in that next, you know, a little bit older, the 27, 28 year old range that absolutely could end up with a book like this. And something I really appreciate about, about this list is the not, not attachment, but the focus on the younger talent in baseball. I mean, Jack named all those guys that are currently on the list what about the younger generation do you feel like is missing from a lot of these top 100 lists? Because I've heard you say before, you look at most of these lists and it's guys from the 1890s, guys from the 1900s. Right. Like what about today's game makes you think, all right, we got to put some of these guys, you know, close to the top. I mean, Mike Trout's close to a top 25 player already, and he's just rounding the age of 30. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's a pure baseball thing. Like nobody does this in any other sport. Nobody yeah. in any other sport would say like, oh yeah, you gotta, you gotta, you know, you've, you've, you've really got to consider these 1920s football players or basketball players uh, or hockey. Uh, you have to consider these guys better than today's players. Like it doesn't make any sense. Like in hockey, I mean, like Connor McDavid is like, he's already one of the hundred greatest hockey players ever. I mean, he's whatever he's played two years, but he, you know, he's already one of the greatest ever. I think, in baseball, we miss that because it's like we're so drawn to the history of it, right? Yeah. We're so – and we've been told so much. I mean, look, the Hall of Fame definitely uh, edges that way. It's, you know, there are many, many more players percentage-wise from the 20s and 10s and, and 30s and 40s than there ever could be from the 60s, 70s, and 80s. I mean, it's, 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 it's really quite striking. So – you know, I think that baseball is a game. We, we love that whole timeless notion of it and all that. But you, you, you brought up a point that I'd love to bring up again, which is I wanted very much in this baseball 100 to not fall into that trap. Yeah. Like there are, I think, maybe one, there may be one true 19th century player on my list. I think Kid Nichols might be the only 19th century player on the list. And that's not because I was unaware of Ed Delahanty or Cap Anson or, or some of these other guys, I just thought, come on, come on. Yeah. You're telling me like that. You're telling me that like, you know, Ed Delahanty was better than Mike Trout. I mean, like it's, <laughs> it's, it's lunacy. So, so I, you know, I think I wanted to do both. I wanted to really pay tribute to the, to the great players of a hundred years ago, because they were great. And even my list is, you know, you look at the top 10 and you see Babe Ruth and Ty Cobb and Walter Johnson and, 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 and uh, guys like that. But I also really felt like, Hey, probably if you're talking pure baseball, the best baseball of, of, in the history of the game has been played the last 25 years. I mean, that's, you know, then these guys are better athletes. They're faster. They're stronger. They, they have better equipment. They, the fields are better. The best baseball is being played right now. And and uh, I don't think it's right to do a, a list of the 100 greatest players and, and sort of avoid that. And I think a lot of people do. I think it's very easy to go, oh, yeah, you know, Tris Speaker is number seven or whatever. And it's like, come on. I mean, yeah, you know, I, I, no offense, Tris Speaker, who's a great player. He's very high on my list. But, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking maybe we ought to give today's player their due. And and that's why um, that's why I love this list firsthand. But also when we're having the Hall of Fame conversation, the Hall of Fame, I feel like it primarily values players with longevity. Um, yeah, yeah. People have been consistent across their careers. We all know about the 500 home run threshold, the 3000 hits, all of that. But on this list and from hearing you speak about players, you value the peak. It may only be two to four years but you prefer that over the guys who've maybe been in it for 25 years and have put up those counting numbers. 
but you value that peak. And I'm just so curious of why you value peak performance over longevity. I, I, I do. And, and that was when I was talking about putting that list together with Tom Tango. That was one of the key things I said to him. I said, I want this list to value peak over, over longevity. I, I, not to knock longevity, it's an incredibly important element of this. And by doing a list like this, you leave out players who had incredible longevity and were incredible players and are generally on lists like this. And so you get yelled at for leaving Eddie Murray out and, you know, and you're like, you're right. I mean, you're absolutely right. I totally get it. But I, I wanted players who, when they were at their best, they were the 100 greatest players ever. Now, you can't go too far with that, right? Like, like could I really legitimately have put Dwight Gooden on this list because for two years he was one of the greatest players? No. I think you need to – You need it, it needs to be a real peak, right? It needs to stretch out for three, four, five, six years or whatever the case may be. But once you get there, to me, like if somebody is like a great player for two years and a very good player for 15, they're going to be in the Hall of Fame. But does that person, is that player really more valuable to a team and to baseball than a guy who was great for five years, very good for three more, and then not good at all? You know, I don't, I don't know. And it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a great question and a great argument. I think of a guy like Craig Biggio. Craig Biggio was a very, very good player. And there was a stretch of time where, you know, like my friend Bill James would say he's the most underrated player in baseball, you know, and there was a one year I remember he had some crazy year where he like stole 50 bases and like hit 25 home runs and didn't, didn't ground into a single double play all year. Like he had like some incredibly great year, but Greg Biggio is in the Hall of Fame because he got 3,000 hits, you know, and and he would not be in the Hall of Fame if he'd gotten 2,700 hits, but he would have been the same player, you know, I mean, he got 3,000 hits because the last six years of his career, they kept throwing him out there, even though he was a below average player. And so I don't like that. I, I, I'm not opposed to the, you know, these, these threshold numbers. I think they're, they're fine. Uh, But I want a player who was great and I want a player who was great for an extended period of time. All right, Joe, last one for me. You've written about the big red machine, Joe Paterno, Jack Nicholas, Tom Watson, Harry Houdini too. Yeah. yeah. I know Joe Schmidt is next. Uh, what else is coming for Joe Posnanski? Great question because I can tell you exactly what's coming. So even though I am doing this football countdown, that is not going to be my next book. My next book is going to be called Why We Love Baseball. And it is, I just announced it uh, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, it will be for Dutton Publishing. It's going to come out in 2023, hopefully in the fall of 2023, I think. I don't think it's going to be spring. I think it'll be fall of 2023, right before the World Series, I hope. And it is going to be in, in like, if I was, you know, the, you know, that famous elevator pitch. If I'm on the elevator and I only have five seconds to tell you, I'll tell you, it's going to be a countdown of the 50 greatest moments in baseball history, but it's really much more than that for me. It's, it's why we love baseball. It's the 50 moments that to me best represent why baseball is such a great game, why we love it, what it's missing now, what, what I wish it would come back to, why it's still great, you know, what, what it still has. So it's going to be 50 moments and there will be some in there that people will totally recognize, right? Like they'll, I can, without giving anything away, I can tell you like Kirk Gibson's home run will probably be on that list, right? Like, I mean, I'm thinking like, you know, the moments that you think of that you're like, oh yeah, that's the most iconic moment. But there are going to be a lot of moments in here and I'm putting together this list now um, that won't be on anybody's list. Some moments that people have never heard of. And I think that's the fun of it. You know, I think the fun of it is that hopefully it's like a history of baseball, but it's going to be a history of baseball told through this, this crazy, you know, 50 greatest moments list that I'm putting together. I think it's gonna be a lot of fun. I really do. Sounds like it. That, that sounds like the most fun list I've ever heard, but I, I have two more before you go. One's, one's a stadium food question okay. that I gotta, I gotta ask you about your favorite hot dogs. But first uh, for me, cause I was a pitcher growing up, the greatest sure. pitcher of all time conversation is one of my favorite debates of all time. 
Yes. I personally have Pedro Martinez as my number one. Yep. I think what he did during the steroid era is unmatched. And the numbers that he were putting up rivals any throughout history. And just his, the stuff profile of yes. Pedro Martinez doing it in Fenway, doing it against some of the best hitters of all time. That's number one for me. But number one for you was Walter Johnson. And Walter Johnson is one of those pitchers in baseball history that I'm so enamored with. Because the fact that we've talked about how guys, you know, playing in the 20s, playing in the 19th century, how good are they really? You know, were they throwing 80 miles an hour or something like that? But then Walter Johnson was a guy who was not throwing 80 miles an hour. Walter Johnson was a guy who might be touching over 100 miles an hour even back then. Yeah. What makes Walter Johnson to you the greatest pitcher of all time? Well, first of all, let me say, I've said this before, that if I had, to, if I, in fact, I think I wrote it in the book, uh, I've certainly have said it enough times, that if I had one pitcher for pitching for my soul, it would be Pedro Martinez, right? Like it would be 1999-2000, Pedro Martinez would be the guy pitching for my soul. So, so in some ways, he's the greatest pitcher of all time in that way. Um, then there's so many, it's such a great argument. I mean, Roger Clemens... Argument. Roger Clemens, to me, beyond the steroid stuff and, and people throwing away, you know, a big part of his career, is lunacy. His career is pure lunacy. There, it, it, it's funny. I, I was actually, you mentioned Bob Costas. I actually was just doing, I had a conversation with Bob, and he was talking about how Clemens and Bonds were similar, but different. Bonds was an all-time great, and Clemens was very good, you know, but no, I, I think that pure numbers, Roger Clemens is the greatest pitcher who ever lived. I mean, you when you wow. combine everything that he did, I've done this before. He essentially was Pedro Martinez career-wise, Pedro Martinez plus Sandy Koufax. That's essentially what Roger Clemens' career is. So, so you know, he got the argument for him. I think another guy who tends to get overlooked in these kinds of arguments is um, uh, Randy Johnson. Randy Johnson's career he had sort of similar dominance to Pedro, uh, but, but did it for longer uh, and, you know, and didn't really get started until he was 28. I mean, just really an incredible career. Greg Maddox is my favorite pitcher. So, so he's like a whole other category, but the guy who, to me, when you combine the numbers, the impact and the legend, the guy is Walter Johnson, right? I mean, he was, there's, five trillion quotes about how hard he threw, you know, that everybody would talk about. Uh, He was this ultimate gentleman who everybody sort of admired and loved. And, and, you know, even though he threw harder than anybody, he didn't want to hit anybody. So he was, he was like this. And then of course, you know, 400 and whatever wins and, and the 1.1, whatever ERA and, and all of the other things. He was, I think, when you put him in his time and you look over an entire career, peak plus value of career plus, you know, sort of dominance plus the legend, yeah, he's my guy. And one more before the stadium food. I know I just lied, but I, I could talk to you for probably <coughs> fifth. I could talk to you for, for probably 30 hours. Uh, but this one question I have to ask, because I've heard yes. you speak about it so many times. What was so gut-wrenching about leaving Turkey Stearns off the list? Oh, yeah. Well, you know, I think part of my mission with this book was to, to tell the story of the Negro leagues, right? Like that's always something that's very important to me has been for many, many years. It's something I sort of feel like I, I owe Buck O'Neill for, for, for his friendship. And, and, you know, there are a lot of Negro leagues on here. I I don't feel like I in any way, you know, left, but he was one one on my list. And you know, I wish he could have been on there because he was a great player that very few people know about. He's a classic character, this great, wonderful character who used to talk to his bats, you know, and, mm-hmm. and, uh, and they called him Turkey because of the way he ran. And like, they're like, he's like got all these wonderful storytelling uh, aspects about him. Uh, just a wonderful, wonderful player. So, so that's why it was hard for me. I mean, it was hard for me to leave a bunch of guys off this list, to be honest, but he was the hardest because I would have loved to have found a place for him. And of course, you know, then somebody I've actually was saying this at some place and they're like, well, why didn't you just put him on and leave Mike Bucino off? And it's like, well, then I'd be telling you how gut wrenching it was for me to leave Mike Bucino off the list. Right. right? I mean, that's, that's sort of how that sort of thing works. And, and last one. So 
I'm a big foodie at stadiums. I love, you know, one of my new loves is just the sausage with peppers and onions at oh, City yeah. Field. I think it's phenomenal. I think yeah. it's just phenomenal. What are some of your top five, I guess your five favorite hot dogs or stadium foods across the country? Wow. I don't, I don't know that I have five favorite hot dogs, right? Like I don't, I don't know that I've been, like I've had dogs in most of the places. They're, I'm not saying they're the same. They're not. I mean, like, Cleveland is, is, is great because of the mustard. So, so, you know, that, that works. The Dodger dog is sort of a legend, you know, and, and, and whatever. Um, they used to do this thing in Kansas city where they would call them Sheboygan sausages or whatever. Those were really, really outstanding. Um, but I like some of the specialty foods. Like I like the, uh, the, the crazy sandwiches they do in Pittsburgh. Um, I, I crab fries and at Camden Yards crab oh, yeah. fries yeah yeah delicious absolutely absolutely I'm, I'm actually like I, I this is going to be this this will probably be the only thing anybody talks about if we ever get there but um <laughs> I think fries should be the great wow baseball food Man. I I like if I right like if I had the choice like if nothing gets hot dogs I love hot dogs and it's great and it, it, it goes back to the early 20th century and 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 all of that but fries french fries like nothing to me feels better than being at a ball game with like a little thing of great french fries so i'm i i kind of believe that should be the official baseball food i'm so in and my (laughs) go-to snack has just become sunflower seeds i feel like eating sunflower seeds at the ball game like i know that's not a stadium food but that's just been kind of the go-to and i'm just snacking right here always it's it's great it's great but it's basically i mean uh, we mike shore who i do uh the podcast with and I have talked about this. It's just eating salt. That's all. Yeah. It is. You're just shoving salt into your mouth and then spinning out the shells. That's it. That's, just that's different it. ways of doing it. I love it. Oh, I love that. And thank you so much, Joe. I mean, this was a phenomenal conversation. We got to go through the history of baseball and we didn't go through the top five on purpose because you have to go check out the baseball top 100 by Joe. It's available everywhere as well as checking out the podcast as well, which is one of my favorite podcasts. Personally, I love listening to you guys. Uh, but thank you so much, Joe, for coming on, and you are welcome anytime. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Arm, I got to interview him with Jack. Um, he is – that was one of the most fun conversations I've ever had in my entire life. Not podcast, not any – just conversations with another human being. His bank of knowledge in baseball – throughout the history of the game i'm at a loss for words it was it was amazing talking to him it's like you're talking to like a a human search engine right where you yeah, can just be like seriously. can you tell me about the 56 dodgers and like, oh yeah 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 i'll tell you about them like what like that kind of thing is so cool um i mean you just have to have a different level of respect for that kind of person who who could just have that type of recall baseball acumen and, and also apply it to today's game too, right? It's not just, oh, the old days were better. It's appreciating the game for what it is now, but also knowing, you know, all of the steps along the way that got us to where we are today. Uh, I'm, I'm really excited to listen to that whole, whole interview in, in full. And uh, yeah, another just awesome, awesome interview and, and another great get. Uh, that's the one bright spot of this lockout, right? Is yeah. uh, generally these guys are so busy and Joe Posnanski's you know, a busy dude who's doing amazing things in the baseball space all the time. Uh, but everybody has a little bit more free time right now. And we've been able to secure some awesome interviews. So uh, silver lining out of all of this for sure. Silver lining for sure. And if you have any free time, go check out the article. I just wrote up about the Joe Posnanski interview about the baseball 100 Make sure you check out his book. It's on Amazon. The link to that book will be in the description of this podcast episode, as well as go check out the podcast. It's Joe Posnanski's baseball podcast, and it's honestly one of the, my favorite podcasts that there are. Um, also, we have free, you know, just baseball merch. Go check it out. Episode link in the description of this podcast as well. Get your shirts, get your hoodies, get your hats, ton of baseball merch. But again, Go check out the article on jsbaseball.com about this interview with Joe Posnanski. 
Arm, any, any last words? Because I know we're going to continue to cover um, the negotiations between MLB, between the MLBPA, as well as the Hall of Fame voting. So that'll be, we'll probably talk more at length, but this really was about the greatest players in baseball history and on kind of a perfect day right after the Hall of Fame is announced. 100%, man. I mean, it really is is a reminder of how many incredible players have, have made their way through the game through the years. And uh, it's going to be pretty cool in like 40 years when we can be those guys like, oh, yeah, back in my day, Fernando yeah. Tatis Jr. Oh, that guy was special. Uh, so, I mean, it, I, it's, it's just wild. And it's a reminder to appreciate some of the talent we have now because, um, you know, we will be talking about it in the future. I can't wait till my kids are telling me that war and XFIP and outs above average are just like old stats that we just don't use anymore and that I'm stuck in the old days. Yeah. And it's, 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 hilarious. I'm scared. Kind of. Yeah. I'm sort of scared too, <laughs> but hopefully you all enjoyed the interview, everybody. And thank you everybody. Thank you.